0: Please turn with me to the book of James. We are beginning chapter four today. covering verses one through three, but I'm going to read through verse six for the sake of context. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another opportunity to open up your word. What a sobering text we have before us. For we know that fights and and quarrels are so common in the church today as it was even as James wrote this letter. And we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding as we consider this matter. Help me to be faithful to the text. And we ask for the Spirit's help in applying these truths to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this text before us, James uses some of the strongest language we see in the New Testament. In terms of confronting sins and believers. In fact, the way that he addresses believers is so strong in this text that for some time I thought that there was no way he was actually talking to Christians this way. He tells them they've, they've murdered. He says, you adulteresses. Warning them of Friendship with the world. Being at enmity with God. I'm convinced today that James is talking to believers here. And I'll point out why. But I think the point here is that there are times for gentle and soft correction. And there are times for strong rebuke. Strong warning. And I believe that this, this is what James is, is doing in our text. He, he has, in a sense, from chapter 1 on forward, drawing a line in the sand. Here is what Christians do. They rejoice during their trials. They don't blame their temptations on God. They help orphans and widows. They're unspotted from the world. He goes into chapter 2. Believers do not show favoritism. Believers are not just hearers of the Word only. They are doers of the Word. And he goes into chapter 3 and he says that, that believers have their tongues restrained by God. And then he tells us that, that, that believers have a, wisdom, has a, have a wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, teachable, without partiality, without hypocrisy, full of mercy and good fruits. He, he, he's drawing a line in the sand constantly. This is what a Christian looks like. And I think we, we see here almost a, a climax of this where he uses these, these term, this terminology that is, that is very strong to, to deal with division, fights, quarrels within a church that is a result of lustful passions and pl- desires for pleasure that, that stem from what? Friendship with the world. He starts off here. Where do wars and fights Come from among you, referring to believers. Stop right there. We've talked about this wonderful doctrine of adoption, how we are brothers and, and sisters in Christ in a very real, real way, not, not theoretically only. And that as children of God, Jesus has paid for the sins of my brothers and and sisters. And we we look at the book of Acts and and we see there's this commonality, this oneness of, of heart and spirit. And now James is saying, where do wars and fights come from among you? This should grab our attention, but but you know what? It probably does not grab our attention because we are so used to this, aren't we? This is the way it is. Christians fight amongst one another. This is normal. He says wars. The Greek word, polemos, quarrels, altercations, contention. This is where we get the English word polemic. Which has to do with what? Controversy. Disagreement. And he uses this word to, to speak of prolonged altercations. Not a short thing. Prolonged altercations. And, and he adds the word fights. And this is a word for battle. So this is referring to specific arguments or fights that make up prolonged altercations. So he's saying, where do all of these battles come from and all of these wars come from. These, these, pro, these prolonged wars made up of battle after battle after battle. Where do these come from? Not literal wars. Not, not physical wars and battles. But confrontation in the church. Why is there a, a lack of peace and, and unity within so many churches? Why why do we have a a hard time getting along with one another? Why are there so many church splits? Do you want to know what the world often thinks about us? The, The Jewish philosopher Spinoza said this, I have often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion Namely, love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another. Such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. What a terrible testimony. These Christians profess love and temperance and joy and peace but they are at one another's throats constantly but, but where do these fights come from what is the, the source of this because this is not normal I mean, consider what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 2 Corinthians 12, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Not good things. But where do these things come from? Because what should we be seeing in the church? What, what, what should we be experiencing? What did we just talk about in James chapter 3? What does godly wisdom produce? Peace. Douglas Moop says, some battles, to be sure, need to be fought. This is true, right? Right? We can't always have peace if, if, we, if, we, if, we are, if we are willing to confront sin. We are sometimes going to break the peace. And this is right. This is just. It must happen. Listen to Mu. He says, But even then, th- these battles that must be fought, that they must be fought without sacrificing Christian principles and virtues. We do not know what the disputes that James refers to were about. The fact that James does not comment directly on the issues involved suggests that his concern was more with the selfish spirit and bitterness of the quarrels than with the rights and wrongs of the various viewpoints. Did you catch that? Think about this. As James tells us where these fights come from, he does not address specific arguments in the church that are taking place. He doesn't do this to point out who is right and who is wrong. His concern is motive and spirit behind those who are disputing. So he begins to tell us where they come from. Verse 1. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And by the way, as we look at this, this is not just a source of contention in the church. This is the source of contention in life, in our homes, in our, in our workplace, nationally. Globally, the, the, the source of contention boils down to these things that, that James is speaking of. He says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Desire for pleasure is one word. I think the ESV translates it as passions. The Greek word is hedone, where we get the word hedonism. And we know that hedonism is the idea that that, that pursuing pleasure is the greatest good. This word has to do with fleshly desires, and it is used in a negative sense. So we can say sinful desires for pleasure. James says these desires for pleasure war in your members. And don't think of desires for pleasure as sexually exclusive. This can mean all sorts of pleasure. Whatever you take pleasure in. Perhaps you take pleasure in people thinking highly of you. Perhaps you you take pleasure in people liking you. Whatever you may take pleasure in, this is what he is referring to. Your desires for pleasure. They they are warring within you. James told us in chapter 1, each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by what? His own desires. The point is that even though as believers we are set free from sin, no longer slaves to sin, we know that we still experience temptation. Pastor Mark pointed it out this morning in, in, in Sunday school when he was referring to we are all, in a sense, two-spirited. Yes, we are we are Christians, but guess what? We still can have sinful desires for pleasure. And what do we do? Do do we mortify those things or do we act upon those things? What, What does Paul tell us in Romans 6? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. There is this war here. James is saying, re- resist, f- fight, or appall rather. Don't, don't allow your body to become an instrument for sin. You need to, to resist this. Make it an instrument of righteousness. So, so this is the, the first source of, of fight in the church that some Christians have uncontrolled, sinful desires for pleasure. And this never leads to good, does it? So what happens? Because every Christian will, will struggle with, with sinful desires pleasure so what happens when we when we do not mortify those those desires what what happens when we allow those desires to stay within our mind and, and we meditate and we dwell upon those things verse two you lust and do not have so you murder You are envious and and you cannot obtain. So, what do you do? You fight and you quarrel. You lust and do not have, so you murder. This is one of those things that makes me pause and say, wait a minute. Is, Is he referring to believers here? And some people have studied this out, and they believe, well, no, there must have been a manuscript um, translation mess up, and this actually means envious and not murder. But there's no evidence of that. It means murder. Is he saying that Christians are murdering one another because of their lust? And we know that he's referring to Christians because of just a few verses down, he addresses them again as brothers. So let us work this out. He says, you lust. This means to desire something, to to crave something. It's a, a strong craving, an intense desire. And the context tells us this is a strong, sinful desire. So what happens when when a person has an intense craving or lust for something that he does not have? James says you murder. MacArthur said when any strong sinful lust is not gratified, the worldly person is prone to lash out in angry frustration. Sometimes even committing murder. Even the Pharisees, who lusted for the personal satisfaction of having a reputation for virtue and holiness, murdered the Savior who unmasked their hypocrisy. So we can see how an unbeliever would murder because of lust. But but surely James can't be talking about believers in this way. And, And if they were actually murdering one another, would he address it so lightly? I don't believe so. So what is he saying? When we are driven by our sinful desires for pleasure and motivated by our cravings, it leads us to envy and jealousy. And what do we do? We hate our brothers and sisters. Uncontrolled desires for whatever it may be will lead you to sinfully hate your brother and sisters in Christ. And what is hatred in God's eyes? Well, Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And John puts it more clearly in 1 John 3, 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So here's what James is saying. You crave things you do not have, so you hate your brethren, murdering them in your heart. Lusting after what we, what we don't have leads us to hating those who have it and hating those who get, into, get in our way of obtaining it. That's jealousy. Or what we saw in chapter 3, bitter jealousy. Jealousy. I want this position in the church. So you know what? I'm beginning to hate the person who has it. I want this power and I want this authority. I'm really starting to not like the person who has it. I desire that man or that woman, so I I don't like the person they are married to. They should have been married to me. Or, I want the praise of men, and I hate those who get in the way of it. I want to live comfortably in sin, so I hate the person who who will call me out on that. I desire a certain sin, So, so if the pastor preaches on that, we're going to have a problem. I desire that person's car or their job. They should not have that. They don't deserve it. I don't like them anymore. And it doesn't always start off as hatred, does it? We see people who perhaps they're just a little bit jealous and they don't control those desires. And so that jealousy leads to a great dislike and it increases more and more and more to the point where they begin to actually hate that person. And they begin to, to hate those who, who are in the way of what they want. So, so where do, do these wars and, and fights come from in the church? A desire for things we don't have. A, a desire for things that, that are not ours. Ours. And so we fight one another. And we we hate one another. We are are jealous of one another. Interestingly, James just addressed this in chapter 3. This is not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom does not produce envy and jealousy, those are the characteristics of worldly wisdom. And he adds more you are envious. And you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. So, so before he said you desire things that you don't have. Now he's saying that you desire things you cannot obtain. Do, do you see the difference? You want things you can't have. You want things you don't have, rather. And not only that, but you want things you cannot obtain. You you are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. The word envious is zelo. This is where we get the word zealous. It's sometimes translated as jealousy. It's a strong desire. A strong desire for, for what we cannot obtain. What is this? This is covetousness. Violation of the tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's or anyone else's for that matter. So we sometimes have a strong desire. We, we covet something that, that we cannot obtain. Not only do we not have it, but we cannot obtain it. MacArthur says, when people harbor such fierce desires but cannot obtain what they covet, they fight and they quarrel. Marital conflicts, family conflicts, job conflicts, national conflicts, all these are the result of unsatisfied personal lust and envy. Men and women. Think about this. Men and women who have uncontrolled desires for pleasure, and you take that person and they are in a situation with uncontrolled desires for pleasure, lusting after things they cannot obtain. What does that do to a person? What what does that do to a person when you have a a strong, passionate desire for something that you cannot obtain? You you feel as though you you need this. I I want it. I, I have to have it. But I cannot obtain it. Does that sound like a peaceable person? Godly righteousness is peaceable? No. That sounds like a hateful person, a jealous person who was murdering his, his brothers and sisters in his heart. And he, cannot, he still can't obtain what he desires. So, so what's happening there? He, he's quarrelsome. He fights. And he starts wars and he starts battles within the church simply because of desires that he can't obtain. Men and women have sinful desires for pleasure that war within them. There, there's this great internal struggle taking place and, and these desires are not mortified. So men and women, overpowered by sinful desires, lust, or crave for things they don't have, which leads to them eventually hating their brothers and sisters in bitter jealousy. And not only do they desire what they can't have, but they strongly desire or covet those things they can never obtain. This is a recipe for disaster. So, what do they do? They fight and they quarrel. This is a person who has no peace. And a person who has no peace never has peace with others. And what we don't realize is that when we are being driven by sinful desires, we can actually never be satisfied. Calvin said. James seems to intimate that the soul of of man is insatiable when he indulges in wicked lust. And truly it is so, for he who suffers his sinful propensities to rule uncontrolled would know no end to his lust. And were the world given to him, he would wish other worlds were created for him. There are people in the church fighting. They're contentious. Because they have sinful desires for things that are not theirs, for things that they cannot obtain. But dear friends, if you were to give them, to grant them their their desires right now, what would happen? They would begin to lust for something different. As Calvin said, give them the world. And they'll say, God, I need another world created for me. This is not enough. Why? Because the issue is never what we don't have. The issue is is sinful desires. Sinful desires cannot be satisfied. Sinful desires must be, be mortified. Once again, Douglas Moo says... James provides us with a powerful analysis of human conflict. Verbal argument, private violence, or national conflict, the cause of them all can be traced back to the wrongful lust to want more than we have. To be envious of and covet what others have, whether it be their possession or their positions. And James is saying folly. You, you fight and you war for, for things you don't have and things you, you cannot obtain. But he goes on and says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Is he saying that God will give us everything our, our sinful heart desires if we simply ask? course not. What did James tell us in chapter 1 verse 17? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God is the source of all good. And in light of that, consider what Jesus says in Matthew 7:11: "If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The very source of all good says, "I am your father." And I give good gifts to those who ask. And, and I want you to, to ask me to be importunate in prayer, to, to beg me, to come to me over and over again. And I will give you good things if you ask me. I am the, the source of all good. I believe this is what God was saying to David, through the prophet Nathan. I have given you all of these things, and if you, if you need it more, why not come to me? Why not ask me? Have I not given you good things? Why would you think that you have to to, to go and obtain something through your fleshly desires and and passions? Do you think that there was something good out there that I would not give to you? So we say, yes, we we, we know that that God is good. And, And He's the source of all good. And he gives good gifts to his children who ask. But yet, James says, you don't ask. That's rather odd, isn't it? The person driven by sinful desires for pleasure is seeking things that he believes to be good. This person says that, that these things will be good for me. But instead of asking God for these things... I'm just going to allow my passions to rule me and to drive me. And as a result of this, I become a contentious person. Because when you get two self-motivated persons like this, they, they cannot but butt heads. But now why would a professing Christian do this? Perhaps you in here right now, that there's something you desire that you don't have. And you don't ask God for it. And perhaps you are, you are brewing, your anger is brewing, and maybe you hate someone, even in here. Why? Because you, you desire something you cannot have, you cannot obtain, but yet you won't ask God for it. I think we do that because we know that our desires are unrighteous. I once heard Joel Beeky say, never do anything you cannot pray about first. If you can't say, Lord, should I do this? Don't do it. I would adjust that and say, never seek things you desire if you would not ask God for them. Are you following me here? I want this. I better pray about it. No, I'm not that dumb. I would not dare ask God to give me someone else's spouse. We know better than that, don't we? I'm not going to pray to God to to tear this person down, cause him to stumble so that I can take his position. We know better than that. We know better than to ask God for things that we would use to sin. We know better than to ask God for things that we lust after and sinfully covet. We know better than that. So we desire those things, but we don't ask God for them because we know better than to do it. So perhaps you say this is true. There are things that I desire that I don't ask God for because I know they are wrong. But here's the question. Are you mortifying those things? Because if you are not killing those desires, those passions, they will kill you. They will make you contentious. And and they will make you become a, a person who starts fights and wars in the church and every place you go. But, but perhaps you say, okay, I don't ask God for those things, but, but there are things that I ask God for, and he does not give them to me. Perhaps even those things we need to examine. And, and be honest with ourselves and say, why am I really asking for these things? Lord, I need a new car. Provide me with a Mercedes-Benz. That's not That's not just transportation. What is the heart behind that? Perhaps motives that that are impure. Lord, provide me with this position knowing in my heart that I am lusting after the praise of men. And so the Lord loves me and He doesn't provide it. Lord, provide me with a better job knowing that my only desire is to buy more adult toys so that I can have more fun and neglect my responsibilities even better. Lord, provide me with this or that. Why? Because all the ladies or all the fellows will like me if I have it. Even things that, that are not inherently evil, Sometimes we need to examine our hearts and say, why are we asking for these things? Is our motive pure? We wonder why God doesn't give us certain things, but we are like children asking God for a knife. Isaiah is sleeping, so I can say this now. Daddy, give me a knife. No. Don't you love me, Daddy? You want me to come to you for things and ask you, don't just go and take it. I need a knife. No. Do you hate me? How come you don't, how come you don't answer my prayers, Lord? You don't give me the things that, that I ask for. What is the heart? What is the heart? James says you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Are we asking God for things that are not inherently sinful but in order to spend it on our sinful pleasures, sinful desires? That's a heart check. Do we believe that God is good? That He provides us with with what we need? Maybe instead of asking God to give us things that we could use to fulfill our sinful desires, we should be asking God to to, to give us what we need to glorify Him and to become more like Christ. And ask Him to to make us content with what He provides. I asked the Lord many years to make me a full-time pastor. That's what I desired from my early 20s. Lord, don't you love me? Didn't you call me to do this? But I'll tell you what. If the Lord would have called 24-year-old me to become a full-time pastor, it probably would have been to my destruction. Because even something that, that that was good, I was not yet ready for. And God is a good father who does not give us what is not good for us. So so our responsibility is to to ask God in in impurity and and leave it in His hands. Not to say, Lord, I think you called me to this and I need it, but but you're not giving it to me right now, so I'm going to lust after it and desire it strongly to the point that I become contentious and fight and quarrel because I cannot obtain it. We need to pray. And we need to trust In God, that He is a good Father who gives good things to His children who ask. So, again, what is the source of our conflicts? Uncontrolled, sinful desires. Not taking our request to God. And when we do, praying for things that are only designed to fulfill our sinful. Passions. He's writing this to Christians. What a sobering reminder of our need for Christ. What what a sobering reminder of our of our need for, for the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. I mean, we, we, he's writing to a people who have been redeemed by Christ. And, and just look at the, the amount of grace that is needed here. These people left to themselves, even as Christians. They're, they're fighting. They're killing one another in their hearts over sinful desires. And this is why James warns them, you you adulteresses, you are being unfaithful to God, you you are making yourself friends of the world. Don't you know that this is enmity with God? Don't we need grace? What a a reminder of our need to, to abide in Christ that we continue to to get the the grace of of Christ flowing down through the vine to us. And what a need we have for the Holy Spirit to to help us to to mortify our our sinful passions. Just think of how often you, you find yourself desiring sinful things desires for for sinful pleasure. Even as a Christian, these things do not go away on their own. But we must mortify these things. We must be killing these desires. And and dear friends, if we do not kill these desires, what happens? We begin killing the local church as we hate one another and as we fight in war. But again, our need here is godly Wisdom, this wisdom that is pure and, and peaceable and gentle and teachable. This, this wisdom, you notice how James transitions from, from godly wisdom to why are there fights in the church? He, he showed that, that worldly wisdom leads to what? Chaos. A, a church with fights and wars, what, what do we call that? That's chaos. And godly wisdom leads to what? It leads to to peace. When we are getting along with one another, when we are humble and teachable and and, and gentle and and willing to yield, what does that lead to? It leads to peace within the church. So so now we are seeing the the, the practical outplaying of, of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom leads to wars and battles. Godly wisdom leads to peace. The church we see in Acts, where brothers and sisters are sharing all things in common. One spirit with one another, one heart with one another, fellowshipping with one another daily. That, dear friends, should be the norm. Let us not look at fights and, and battles in a church and say, it's just what happens in American Christianity This is not God's will for us. But this also shows us what? A need for us to examine our own hearts. Because all it takes is one or two of us to to begin to allow our passions to run wild. And what happens? Not only does it affect us, but it actually starts affecting others. We say, well, well, if I allow my passions to, to run wild, it only affects me. James says it causes wars and battles in the church. This is a call for each and every one of us to mortify our flesh. Dear friends, if you, by the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you will live. But if you live by the flesh, you will die. And we will take the church with us when we do it. The local church. But Let us be trusting in Christ. Because we see this and we know. We know that we are struggling. We know that we have sin issues. We know that there are a lot of sin to, to mortify. So we continue to trust in Christ for salvation because again, this is not a matter of earning grace. It's not a matter of earning salvation. It's not a matter of keeping ourselves saved by being a peaceable people. We need Christ. But this is a matter of because I love Christ, because I've been set free from sin, I mortify my sin. I don't allow my members to be instruments of unrighteousness for, for Satan, but I allow my body to be instruments of righteousness for God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we underestimate the effects and power of sin, that living with unmortified sinful passions can not only destroy our own souls but cause fights and wars in the church. What a grievous thing, Lord, that we would hate our brothers and, and sisters and, and murder them in our hearts because of our own sinful passions. Lord, forgive any of us if we've done that. And, and help us to be a, a church that is filled with, with godly wisdom that is pure and peaceable, and that is gentle and, and willing to yield, full of mercy and, and good fruits without hypocrisy and without partiality. And Father, may we experience the righteousness and peace that James says is produced by godly wisdom. Help us all here to be mortifying our flesh on a daily basis, trusting in Christ for salvation, understanding that we need your Spirit, that we only mortify the flesh through your Spirit. And Father, if any don't know You this day, we ask that they would turn to You. That they would be able to experience the the, the peace that You provide, the peace that, that godly wisdom provides. And truly help us as a church, Father, to love one another. That even when we disagree, we can disagree with one another peaceably and lovingly, like a family should.